You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. Welcome back, San Antonio Spurs fans. This is Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. Today, we're going to be talking about more candidates for the Spurs with the 12th pick, and we're going to be talking with special guest head coach Adam Spinella of the Box and One. What's going on, Adam? How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I probably get in trouble saying this because I, I write for Celtics blog, but big fan of the Spurs. Always <laughs> admire the organization. And uh, yeah, even going back to the Tim Duncan days, just somebody I grew up you know, following when he was I think a rookie when I was five or six. So uh, all the way through childhood, admiring him, the longevity, the organization as a whole, top to bottom. So this is a fun one for me. I really appreciate you having me on. Of course, and you just earned a ton of brownie points with Spurs fans, so I'm sure they're going to enjoy hearing that. But let's go ahead and hop into the topics today. So, you know, we're going to be talking the 12th pick, and the draft is less than a week away. You know, we've reviewed a ton of lottery options for the Spurs on this podcast, but I'm going to talk a pair of, a pair of prospects, rather. Usman Garuba, Franz Wagner, they're pretty unique and interesting in their own right, but let's go ahead and start with Usman Garuba. You know, a lot of Spurs fans probably didn't have the opportunity to watch him play for Real Madrid and Liga ACB and EuroLeague this season. So could you maybe give the people listening at home an idea of the level of competition he's faced and, you know, what sort of player he is? Sure. So we'll start with the the league and the competition there. I would say that ACB, Liga ACB and EuroLeague are, you know, in their combination, the teams that perform in both the second best league in the world, right behind the NBA. It's also a super physical league for those Spurs fans out there who may have been able to tune in and watch some of the Olympic qualifiers and see the difference in FIBA refereeing and how it might be disadvantageous for some of the American players and how it really favors toughness. Hand checks are okay. Getting to spots, you know, all that stuff, very physical league, but the, the talent level there is oftentimes underappreciated because the NBA is so filled with talent that we think of guys that are from America that go over to Europe to make professional careers over there and, and play in those leagues as being kind of inferior in a lot of ways, where realistically, Team USA right now through the Olympics, they have somebody who's playing overseas internationally that made their team in John Jenkins. So a really high level of play. And some of the guys who started over there that were international names that won MVP awards or gained recognition at an early age have gone on to enjoy a lot of NBA success. So Luka Doncic is the name that we all kind of know first and foremost, and I'm not necessarily saying Garuba is going to have a Luka Doncic type career, uh, but that's the most comparable. Him and, and Ricky Rubio were the two biggest names to come out of that league as teenagers. But guys like Nikola Mirotic, Marc Gasol, Luis Scola, and Spurs fan favorite Tiago Splitter are former MVPs of that league. So knowing that those guys can come in there, play at that high of a level internationally and translate into success on an NBA floor where they're still logging important, meaningful minutes, I think is really key to know that, you know, a guy who's playing over there in an impactful role on a team that's 34 and two, uh, which Real Madrid is, uh, goes a long way in showing that he's going to be ready to play in the NBA. Definitely. And I also want to sort of get your opinion. He's 19 years old. I mean, what does it mean for a 19 year old to be playing regular minutes, have a consistent role with a team like Real Madrid that is so good in one of the best leagues in the world? What does that mean? To me, it means a lot. Uh, that's maybe my coaching background and knowing that especially role players, you have to be trusted to perform the tasks that you're asked to do. And Garuba, I know we'll talk about him a little bit more as a prospect years as evolves, an incredible defender. 
and is really willing to accept a lot of that role. He's not a high volume offensive player. And I think for teenagers, especially it's rare. You find somebody who's willing to do all the dirty work, all of the defensive rotations to communicate box out, play with the effort that he does on that end and not say, okay, now I'll go get my touches on the other end, like incredibly selfless. And that's what appeals to me about him. You see how that fits into a winning program in a team right now. It's going to translate to the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to watch a few of his games. I certainly have not watched as much of you as you have, but I really like what I've seen from him. But from somebody who's definitely seen more than I have, can you sort of explain, you know, what, what are his strengths of his game? What are his weaknesses? And what are some of the things that you're looking at, you know, for him to contribute possibly from day one once he gets to the NBA? Sure. So, Noah, one thing about me, and, and I'll share this with you and, and the viewers, I try to avoid the term weaknesses when talking about draft prospects. Uh, I think of it more as improvement areas, right? There are areas that they can continue to work on. Maybe they just haven't put enough time into or the translation of their game from the level they're at right now needs to evolve into something different in order to survive at the NBA. So I just try to always be the eternal optimist and phrase it in those areas. When it comes to Garuba specifically, you know, uh, averaging about 5.8 points, 5.3 rebounds a game, very small role offensively but what he does incredibly well is guard multiple positions as a front court guy with incredible iq so he projects right now as kind of that tweener or hybrid four or five depending on how you want to look at him about six eight maybe six nine with a plus seven foot wingspan so really really long armed he might be a little short traditionally for a center but has the capability of guarding either position. And I think would be able to guard three through five in the NBA really, really comfortably. It's not just switchability and on-ball defense that makes him really valuable. I've never seen an 18 or 19 year old instinctually make the type of help defensive rotations that he makes. They're nuanced stuff. And, and this is a lofty comparison, but because of his ability to do so within a switching scheme, there's some Draymond Green to him on the defensive end. And it's hard to quantify either statistically or just through words, how valuable that is for a team because it unlocks so much about who else you're able to get around them. And specifically with San Antonio, I am salivating just as a, as a coach and a defensive first guy, like I love talking about defense. I'm salivating thinking about DeJounte Murray, Devin Vassell and Usman Garuba all being on the same court. Like that is length, intensity, IQ, versatility that just really gets me excited. Yeah. And, and let me ask you this just sort of as a side question here, do you think he could play along someone like Yaka Pirtle or do you think they would probably not be too compatible on the floor together? It's a, it's a good question. And I think it's one that many scouts have struggled with to give clarity on that side right now. I know squarely that I land on the answer being yes. And part of that is because of the upward trajectory of his shooting, there's this perception out there that Garuba is not a very good offensive player. And that comes from a, the low volume. When you see a guy who's not taking a lot of shots, you assume that it has something to do with his capability and B he was a really poor three point shooter coming into the season, but he has steadily improved. He's up to over 34% from three on about two shots a game, two and a half shots. So a solid volume there, especially for the minutes that he plays. And, and that's another point that I should make about the Spanish leagues over there, the top scorers in the league average somewhere between 16 and 18 points a game. So this is not a place where, you know, if you're averaging eight or nine points, 
you're a poor scorer, you're a very low usage player. That's the equivalent of maybe averaging 14 or 15 in the NBA. So Garuba putting up, you know, five and five is essentially like putting up eight and seven as a role player off the bench right now. So it's impressive with what he's doing. The 34% three-point shooting is new. And anytime you see somebody with a recent uptick in their shooting ability, you have to ask yourself how real it is. And that in lies the biggest trait to him being able to play next to a true center like Pirtle. Can he space the floor to the corners? Can he reliably shoot the three and be able to play in that off-ball role? Because defensively, he'll be fine. But it's about the spacing on offense with a non-shooting five like Pirtle that you might worry about. I think he's going to be okay because I buy the, the projection of his jump shot long term. And, and I'm sure this may be a little bit of a cop-out, but I'm sure you, you know, you've talked about him before, but Chip England, I mean, he's kind of revered as like one of the best shooting coaches in the NBA. If there was somebody who I had to bet on helping him reach that ceiling as a shooter, or maybe even just a serviceable shooter at the next level, he's got that guy on his side. And I'm not saying like every single player who walks in San Antonio's doors works with him, but you would have to imagine that a lottery pick, someone they're investing a lottery pick into potentially, because that's where they would be getting him here, that they would invest some time with, Chip England. I mean, that seems to be what would make sense for me, but let me ask you this. So in terms of his shooting, what do you think are the areas of improvement for him as a shooter? Like, is it, is it the, the mechanics of the jumper? What is it? Yeah. Some of it's mechanics. I think he's a little bit stiff. A lot of younger shooters that might not necessarily know where their shot is coming from can thumb it a little bit, so to speak, because they're catching it. They're worried about the, the type of release, the amount of time that they have. And the more consistent his role is, I think the better off he's going to be long-term in that regard. So it might have something to do with, with just his, his general shooting hand, which is a relatively easy fix. But beyond that, um, he just looks robotic, I think is the overall way to describe his offensive game right now. And shooting is such a fluid process that there's no one part of it that it necessarily needs fixing more than others once he takes care of the, the guide hand but getting it to look fluid and be more you know, normal and natural on an NBA floor is important. I've often compared Gruba. I say he's kind of Jekyll and Hyde, right? He's Draymond green and fluid and fierce and an unbelievable athlete on the defensive end. And then he looks like he's trying to play as either the tin man on offense or you have to grease his joints. He just can't move in those same functional ways on that end of the floor. It's kind of strange, but it's, it's more about the aesthetics than anything else. And is there anything else that sort of stands out to you when you watch him in, in a positive way on the offensive end? On the offensive end, I think he's going to be a good pick and roll finisher. Now, when we're talking about positions and who does he play with, is he a four, is he a five? Obviously, that has a ton to do in the modern game with what type of role he'll be in offensively. We're seeing far less frequently now than we did 15 years ago that the four spot is a power forward so to speak. And, and they're also involved in the screen and roll game. So Garuba is going to have to be able to either shoot the ball well enough from the perimeter to play the four full time or be surrounded by the right talent and be at the five. And I think that his best offensive role right now is as a screen and roll finisher and a short roll playmaker. I'm actually really impressed with the reads that he makes when he catches the ball at the free throw line and has one bounce to find the open guy or get to the rim for himself. I think it's a, a versatile valuable NBA trait. I think he has it. Awesome. Well, let's sort of discuss, you know, his fit on San Antonio's roster, just based on the personnel they have right now, you know, if pop in the front office used their 12th pick to get Usman Garuba, 
do you expect him to play right away? And, you know, what sort of impact do you think he can have as a rookie? Because I do think for a lot of fans, when they see someone picked in the lottery, they say, you know, this guy needs to produce right away. But I don't think that's necessarily the right line of thinking. Like, not everybody's ready to play. Is he a guy who is, in your opinion, definitively ready to make an impact? And like, what sort of impact could he make as a rookie? Yeah, so comparatively, yes, I think he's ready. He's going to be more ready than a lot of other rookies will be. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's the type of guy that you say, okay, he's going to play 20 to 25 minutes on a playoff team and hold his own in the postseason. Those are two very different statements because traditionally maybe two or three rookies end up being good enough to earn solid minutes on a postseason team. So uh, I want to temper expectations for anybody in this draft class, let alone whoever the Spurs get at 12. But I do think Garuba is a little bit more ready than some of the other rookies in this class. I also in thinking about his fit in San Antonio, I enjoy the fact that he's a low usage offensive option. I think that that, you know, allows him to pair well with whatever decisions they make in free agency. And I'm sure you've covered it a ton and and talking with other people, a pivotal year for the Spurs in terms of how they fill out this roster. And the the biggest glaring hole is who's going to be that alpha scorer if DeMar DeRozan does end up leaving. You know, the nice part about drafting a guy who's more complimentary in that role is he's going to fit next to anybody that you bring in that comes with Garuba, hopefully getting up to 35, 36, 37% from threes and just standing in the corner. Or when you need to go small for defensive purposes or impose that will on the other team, he can play the five and screen and roll and doesn't need to get a lot of touches offensively. I, I value that. And I think that gets overlooked by teams who don't have an alpha. They just go out there and say, well, we need a guy who's going to come in and score. That's what we need to draft for. Cause we don't have, you can find those guys in other ways if there's value in still getting that safer, low usage option. So I, I think he fits in really well in that area and is, is going to be best long-term, you know, in a system that allows him to be multi-positional and not just pegged in one certain area. So what I, what I think San Antonio would appreciate about him is, you know, that there are moments when Pirtle may not be the best man for the job based on who they're facing. Garuba is the perfect compliment to him in that regard, especially on defense. Yeah, no, I, I really like Garuba. He's one of my guys who's, I'm not going to say like top of my board. I believe I have him 12th on my board, but I like him a lot. And that's exactly where the Spurs are picking. Now, there probably are other guys who they may be interested in. Of course, we don't know if they've worked out Usman Garuba. And we also don't know if they've worked out Franz Wagner, who's the other guy who I want to talk to you. So let's go ahead and move on to Franz Wagner. You know, he is someone who sort of fits them positionally. He's someone who skill-wise I think would fit pretty well in San Antonio, but let's say they go ahead and decide to go with Franz Wagner at 12. You know, what does he do well? What are sort of his areas of improvement and what sort of player do you think that he could be at his peak? Like I've heard this and I'm not in again, I haven't seen a ton of Franz Wagner, but I've heard this, that he doesn't have an incredibly high ceiling, which is something that I think is probably pretty hard to quantify. So I'd love to get your opinions on those three topics there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when you invited me on the, the pod here today and, and to talk about these two names in particular, I found it an incredibly fascinating topic for me in particular to dive into because I think a lot of these guys are, are mentioned neck and neck for being in that 12 to 14-ish range. I have them in very different spots on my board. So I have one of them seventh overall, which is, is pretty high uh, for either of these names to go. And then the other one I have 24th. 
And just as a quick spoiler and segue into this, I have Garuba at seven. So really big fan of Garuba. Uh, when it comes to Wagner and what he might offer, you know, the Spurs right here, a really good defender, a very solid, low usage type of guy in a similar way that Garuba has been, but a different impact on the game in terms of his defense. So Wagner, very smart with his help defense, but not as explosive of a rim protector shot blocker much more switchable onto smaller guys, ones and twos in, in small samples, but projects mainly as a two, three, four type of defender where the way that the Spurs might be building out this roster is to have your traditional big man who is your, your five and your anchor and your rim protector. And you can go for maybe a little bit more skill in offense than pure shot blocking rim protection on defense and have switchability one through four with guys like Keldon Johnson and Vassell and taller, longer guards like Murray or Lonnie Walker and play in a style that allows you to apply pressure on the perimeter. And that only works if you have guys like Wagner who are tall enough to play the four, long enough to switch in multiple different positions defensively and aware enough off ball with their defensive movements to really cover some of the gaps with slips or, or different areas that might typically pop up with miscommunications on switches. And he has proven that he's able to do that in his time at Michigan. So I love his IQ. And I do think that his fit kind of, you know, stylistically on defense makes a lot of sense in San Antonio. But one of the reasons that Wagner is lower on my board and falls into specifically a role player type of tier is that I worry about the offense. He gets lauded a lot as a, a really good three-point shooter. I'm not sure where that comes from, to be honest with you. You know, he only shot about 34, 35% on catch and shoot looks at Michigan this past year for a guy who's 6'11 with a seven foot wingspan. He shoots it from kind of in front of his face and has a slower, lower hitch to get up there instead of shooting it above his head. I think that shrinks himself functionally, which hurts him if he's playing at the four. And again, as a, as a scout and somebody who dives into a lot of this stuff, I, I, pick apart the minutia. And I watched a lot of Michigan basketball last year, just as a coach and someone who wanted to learn from Juwan Howard, because he did an unbelievable job with the Wolverines and, and getting them to the top of the big 10 and, and one of the best teams in the country. But what he would do with Wagner pretty much every possession was put him on the left wing or in the left corner. So that whenever he came off a handoff or a ball screen or attack to close out middle, he did it with his dominant hand. And to me, that, that screams alarm bells as a coach in saying he has been instructed to go to this area of the floor every time so that he can go to his right. And he's not so overwhelmingly good of an offensive player, especially at the next level, where you want to be catering a system to either make up for some of his shortcomings or because he needs the ball going to his right hand in order to be functional. Like To me, that scares me with a lottery pick. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, if he's not necessarily a good finisher with his left hand and I watched your video breakdown on him, it sounds like he's not only not as adept at finishing, he's a little bit less coordinated. He's slower going to his left, more uncomfortable going to his left. That I think those are all, you know, genuine concerns to have about a player. And in terms of the shooting, do you think it's something that, again, I know that the Chip England thing is sort of a cop out, but do you think working along somebody like that, that he could be a plus shooter or or is that really for you a thing that he's probably going to struggle with quite a bit? Yeah, it's, it's different, right? So 
Whereas Garuba is so good defensively. I think that even if he doesn't wind up being a really good three-point shooter, there are pathways to him getting minutes and having a role. And you say, well, we're going to work around the offensive concerns because he's worth it defensively. Wagner's defensive game blends in a little bit more and isn't just out in your face. Like he's the anchor. He's the reason why this team is, is doing so well in the defensive end. Beyond that, because of the limitations that he has off the bounce, especially with his left hand, he doesn't do enough offensively for me to say if the shot doesn't come along, he still is a productive NBA player. And it's, it's less about certain mechanics or things that he's shown about the upside of his shooting. Like if you believe in Chip England, you believe in Chip England, and he's a much better shooting coach than I am. He would be much more important to talk to to try to diagnose who he'd like to work with and thinks has a better shot of reclaiming their jumper. But I just don't think that there's enough outside of the, the shooting concerns for me to say, well, if this doesn't come along, he still has a pathway to be impactful on the floor. I think, yeah, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. And I just wanted to get your, you know, your opinion on that. And I'll ask you sort of the same question that I asked you with Garuba. So, you know, given the current construction of the roster, how do you think he fits with the Spurs? And is, do you think that there's even a way for him to earn avenue towards, you know, getting minutes as a rookie? Or is he someone who you you know, expect to just sort of come off the bench and figure things out as it goes. Yeah, I, th I think that, you know, mentioned a little bit with the switchability of being able to guard two through four, like Vassell, Keldon, and himself make a, a really intriguing defensive tandem. Now you're then banking on a lot of catch and shoot ability for him developing, and he and Vassell doing more so standing in the corners and on the perimeter, uh, at least initially, in order to, to make an impact. The Easiest way to earn early minutes as a young player is to not make mental mistakes and be very solid and dependable defensively. That's one area I do believe Wagner is ready to go for the NBA. So I have no qualms about sticking him in there for 12 to 18 minutes a night and thinking that he's going to be solid as well as giving him kind of the, the ability to play through that offensive factor and figure out who he's going to be on that end. Now, the one difference between him and Garuba in terms of early impact is physical strength. I think Garuba's body and frame are much more NBA ready. Part of that is the proven nature of coming from a you know, physical league in Europe. The other part of that is that he's just much more chiseled and stronger. And, and Wagner is very long and gangly. And I don't think that's a long-term concern. But if you're looking for instant impact from a guy that helped the Spurs next year, I think that that's one area to kind of temper your expectations. If you have a guy who's playing the four or a little bit more closer to a front court role, the lack of physical strength can catch up to you. And what can we sort of expect from him if he does have the ball in his hands? Is, is he good at making decisions with the ball in his hands? Can he operate as sort of that pick and roll ball handler? Is he a good decision maker? You know, what is your feel for him in that aspect? He's a really good decision maker, a very creative passer as well. You see a lot of wraparound bounce passes and things in the lane. Again, they're all going to his right hand. So I can't speak to the versatility of how he faces weak coverage when other teams try to force him left. The other area that causes me not to be overly high on him as a primary or secondary creator with the ball in his hands is that he's not a great pull-up scorer either. Okay. When he's getting to his right and going all the way to the rim, but I didn't see a ton of flashes of, whether it's mid-range pull-ups, step backs, you know, if teams try to go underneath ball screens, can he level them out to three? Like those are things that I, I don't think Wagner necessarily has in his bag. 
And in order for help defenses to collapse on you at the NBA level, when they're so smart and so disciplined, you have to be a threat with the ball in their hands. Otherwise, they're going to leave you on an island, play drop coverage, and say, hey, score against Rudy Gobert 2-1-2 or Brooke Lopez. Like, we're okay playing 2-1-2 in the middle of the floor. I don't think Wagner's a good enough offensive threat to punish teams for doing that, which means he doesn't leverage his passing ability to the best of his uh, – in order to be unlocked in the way that it should be. Yeah, I appreciate you talking about those two guys. And before I let you go, I, I really do want to talk just a little bit about the Spurs young core. You know, I watched a ton of your videos and I really, I first noticed you with your Spurs draft primer, which if there's Spurs fans listening at home, definitely check out Adam's channel. Super awesome. But, you know, how do you view this, this Spurs roster from a talent perspective? And what do you think their ceiling is as a franchise going forward? You know, what should they be aiming for? Because I look at it and I don't know that, like you said earlier, I don't know that they have that alpha guy. And, you know, that's that's sort of tough to come upon. Yeah, so thinking about this offseason as a whole, anytime you're, and we'll be frank about this, a smaller market team that typically doesn't get free agents to, to come to you on the market, you have to be really smart with how you use free agency when you have a lot of cap space. And that's where the Spurs are this summer. Uh, DeRozan is going to be a hot commodity for teams that are trying to get over the hump that are you know, mid-tier playoff teams and say, we just need one more veteran and we might have the ability to, to sign him or to, or to get him. So what the Spurs have to be really inwardly focused on is figuring out if they do keep DeRozan, are they able to put him in a position to make the playoffs and make a serious run because you want to do right by him? And if not, is the best course of action either letting him walk now and using the cap space elsewhere we're trying to sign and trade him for some assets that, you know, would allow him to be somewhere else. But, you know, the name John Collins comes up a ton for Spurs fans. I know that was something I talked about a little bit in the primer. I don't know how real is real realistic that is right now. I think with the Hawks making their run and realizing that they're a little bit closer than maybe even they thought to contending in the Eastern conference, it now justifies locking up Collins to keep the group together. So, you know, there are no real, that's a tough part about this, free agent class. There are no real names out there that are the, the sexy guys to sign in terms of scoring the basketball, especially from positions that the Spurs need. I agree with you. I mean, it's tough. It's a tough offseason to have, you know, like 50 plus million dollars to spend. I think John Collins is the name that Spurs fans talk about a lot. Laurie Markkinen's a guy who gets thrown out there. I'm not super high on Laurie Markkinen. I don't know that he really moves the needle for the Spurs. And even like in terms of John Collins, I think there are not major concerns, but I think if you go from a system in Atlanta where you have better spacing, you have clearly the superior playmaker and Trey Young and 80% of your offense is off of assists. I don't know how much better you're going to get in San Antonio who finished near the bottom of every three-point category. Um, you know, there's a strong possibility DeMar DeRozan's gone, your top facilitator. So those sort of things worry me a little bit, but you know, I'm thinking probably the, the course of action that's going to be most important for them is this draft. So I know we talked about two guys. We talked about Usman Garuba. We talked about Franz Wagner. Is there anybody else who you really like for them at 12 who you think will realistically be there? Yeah, so I'm a big advocate of taking best player available, especially when you don't necessarily have your franchise pillars set in stone. So, you know, for example, if the Warriors are on the clock at seven and they already have Steph Curry, you know, Clay Thompson and, and Draymond Green. They need to avoid overlaps. Like it does them very little to get a short ball handler that can't necessarily play next to Curry. So, you know, those are 
the only circumstances in which you don't take best player available. So there are a lot of guys and any listeners out there, feel free to check out my big board and, and see what, what names might be above the 12th overall pick where if they're available, I'd like them, but a few who, who really mesh well to me, one is Keon Johnson out of Tennessee. I'm just incredibly, incredibly high on him. I think that he's going to turn into a really good scorer someday. Chip England would be the perfect guy to get that out of him and extend his range out to three. But I, I believe he has like a little bit smaller version of Jalen Brown to his game. He's not quite as tall as Jalen, maybe two inches shorter, but really firmly believe that he ends up having that same type of impact on a basketball court. James Booknight, if he's available out of UConn, just an unbelievable score. We mentioned the need for the Spurs to find that alpha with the ball in their hands offensively. I think there's no doubt in my mind that he can turn into that guy someday. Whether he will is going to depend largely upon the consistency of his three-point shooting. And then the last name is Alperin Shengun, the Mr. Controversial in this year's draft. Uh, some people think that he's a top five or six name that needs to be thrown in with the top category because he won MVP over in a Turkish league as an 18-year-old professionally playing. Unbelievably impressive. But when you watch the film and the minutia stands out, his game doesn't scream translation to the NBA. He's not a phenomenal athlete, not a great rim protector, doesn't move well and, and scores a lot of his points with his back to the basket. So his range is really anywhere from like six or seven all the way down to the early 20s. I don't know what that means necessarily. I'm a big fan of his. And I think that, you know, being in San Antonio with the consistency and patience that the organization has always shown to developing young players, that's the best way to maximize him which is why I, I wouldn't hesitate for the Spurs to, to select him at 12 if he's still available. I like all three of those players. I think Alperin Shingun is probably the guy I'm lowest on, but I always try to repeat this when I talk about guys who I like for the draft is just because I'm lower on someone than someone else does not mean that I don't like them. Like, I do think there's a ton of really valid points there. You know, he was an MVP at 18 years old and probably, you know, maybe the second or third best domestic league in the world outside of the NBA. Uh, you know, he looks incredible with his back to the basket. He had moves, he had counter moves, he had ball fakes. His footwork is phenomenal for someone of that age. And, you know, there are some defensive concerns, but at least from what I saw, I didn't feel like, I feel like a little bit, they were overblown by some people. Like I heard some people say, you know, maybe it was the worst defensive tape they'd ever seen. I don't agree with that. I actually thought he was like pretty fine. I thought he had pretty good defensive instincts, but I think when you look at him, he's probably a drop coverage big at the next level, right? Like he's not going to be switching on the perimeter or anything like that. No, and he's he's more mobile than you think in straight lines, but he's not great laterally. And he's, I think one of the reasons the film doesn't look great is he's not very consistent with his closeouts. He needs to be much more disciplined for understanding the type of player that he is and taking better angles as a result of that. So, you know, I think he ends up having a Demonis Sabonis type of upside to him where, you know, he can shoot it a little bit. He can create out of handoffs and, and force switches in ball screens and, and handoff actions that allow him to just, you know, bury a guy down on the block. And he's so, so good at doing that. So I, uh, I like Sengun. I think it definitely takes some defensive catering, but as we've talked about with the Spurs, I love the defensive personnel they already have. They're building a long versatile switching one through four type of core I think that goes really well with a guy like Shengun, where if you apply pressure on the perimeter, you don't necessarily, you know, encourage as many drives to the basket and that helps put him in the best situation to succeed. 
Definitely. And let me ask you one last question about him. So I think for me, one of the biggest questions for me is, will he be able to stretch the floor one day? And you look at the touch that he has around the rim. You look at the touch from the free throw line, really good percentage there on a lot of attempts. Is that something that you're pretty confident in? Because I actually think that there's a pretty good chance that he could end up spacing the floor at some point in his NBA career, even if it's not from day one. Yeah, I think so. I'm more willing to bet on it than not. And I wish I could point to exactly one reason or one play or shot type that really gives me that type of indication. But there's an overall level of optimism that I have about just how much he understands he needs to evolve his game to fit into the NBA and how important just the three-point shot is going to be in being the start of that. So um, I definitely buy the upside for it. And before I let you go, I want to ask you, you know, this Spurs team has a lot of interesting young pieces. I mean, we've, we've sort of named them, but we haven't talked about them too much in depth. I won't make you go too in depth with any of them, but out of all the young guys on this team, is there anybody that you really like that think, you know, you, they might have a chance to end up being an alpha or maybe even just like the second, third best player on a championship contender? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know as much about alpha. I think Keldon Johnson is probably the closest guy to knocking on that door there. And he blew me away with how much of a human bowling ball he was this past year. Like he's incredibly, incredibly strong and, and just fears nobody when he drives to the basket. But my man crush is Devin Vassell. It has been for a year, year and a half, and it probably will always be that way. I love his length. He's an unbelievable defender. I, I rated him out a year ago as I believe the fourth player on my board in 2020. Really was a huge fan of him because he strikes me as what you see Mikhail Bridges doing right now for the Phoenix Suns, I think is a realistic possibility for Vassell in San Antonio in a, a year or two, as well as much more upside to create off the bounce. I don't know if that makes him an alpha as much as it does just a really intriguing piece with such a high floor that I just, yeah, I, I love Vassell. So I was clamoring for anybody to draft him last year. As soon as the Spurs were on the clock and they took, I, I, I knew this was going to happen. One of my favorite teams is going to get my favorite prospects. So that's, I love those two as long-term building blocks, Johnson and Vassell. Yeah. And I, I was really happy with both of them for, for Keldon. I had him 17th on my big board that year. So when he fell to 29th, I was like, wow, uh, they got to get him. Like when he was there at 19 and they took Luca, I was like, oh man. But then when they got him at 29, I was like, wow, I'm happy about that. And with Vassell, he was sixth on my big board last year. So when they had him at 11, I was ecstatic. So two guys who I really like, I I sort of agree with you. I'm not sure that they're ever going to be that alpha, but I definitely think they can be valuable pieces in the NBA. And I just want to take this time to say thank you so much for joining me. And before I let you go here, you know, let people know where they can find your podcast, your video content, anything that you're doing and where they can follow you on social media. Sure. So uh, no podcast for me. I wish I had the time or the technical expertise to go through that process, but uh, you can follow me on YouTube. Adam Spinella is the name on there trying to pump out a little bit more draft content before we get to the draft, some positional categories, or maybe a couple more scouting reports before Thursday gets here. But follow me on Twitter at Spinella 14. That's my last name, one four, and then at the box and one underscore uh, Spinella 14 is going to be a little bit more nuanced X's and O's, NBA breakdowns, and a few retweets or or tweets about uh, the current team that I coach. Whereas the boxing one is a little more where you find me on uh, all the NBA draft stuff. So depending on what you're looking for, just pick your poison and, uh, and I'll be there. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Really, Spurs fans, if you have time, check out his stuff. Follow him. Everything he's doing, I mean, it's all good. Everything that I've seen of yours is really phenomenal, so definitely check it out. But thanks again for joining me, and thanks to everyone who tuned into this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do an amazing job of keeping everyone up to date with their favorite team, so check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.